Welcome back to Apologetics for Tweens. I'm Tom Griffin. Our next cultural issue is about the question, are there more than two genders? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for everything you do for us, all our blessings, and especially for sending Jesus to save us from our sins. I pray that this message will reach all those who need to hear it, and that in hearing it will help them recognize you in their lives and seek you in a deeper way, find you, and believe in you. May everyone who already knows you, Lord, maintain their faith and be confident to share about you with others. Amen. I often hear in Hollywood, the media, and other places that gender is more than biological because feelings are real. It's now at the point where one has to ask the question, what's the definition of a woman? And what's the definition of a man? In the view of many, and the media, and non-believers, it appears to be whatever you want it to be, or think it to be, or feel it to be. In the last few years, there are several issues that accelerated this to the forefront of public debate and scrutiny. We'll mention these and then go into them in more detail. First, that the idea of allowing anyone to use the bathroom of their choice, even if they just think they're the other sex, in spite of their actual biological sex. Next, male athletes who identify or claim to be female, who engage in competitive sports and are shattering records everywhere, humiliating and frustrating the actual biologically female athletes. And third, each person should be allowed to have pronouns that describe them other than male or female and whatever they want to say it is. Teachers and professors around the country are getting fired for disregarding this frequent school policy now or violating it. Let's first agree that this issue does require compassion and understanding family and pastoral and prayer support, but also most likely therapy, counseling, and time as well. Until the recent decade or so, gender was a non-issue. Our sex was based on biology. It goes on our birth certificate, and we're either male or female. All humans are either male or female at birth based on their DNA and chromosomes. If they have a 23rd chromosome with a copy of the X chromosome, they're female. They're female. If that 23rd chromosome is an XY chromosome, they're male. This never changes throughout their life, no matter the operations or hormones taken. And it's why there's such a difficulty in dealing with any attempts to change their sex. The DNA always fights the feelings. There are a very number, uh, excuse me, a very small number of examples where an infant does not fall into either category, but these have nothing to do with feelings. They're extreme biological rarities or anomalies, but that's not even what the debate is about. It's the mere existence of feelings about a preferred gender. If our feelings can instantiate our gender, 
then why not allow other feelings about other issues to take priority over reality as well? And again, this is what they want. For example, I'm a Caucasian, but I feel like I'm African-American, so I should be allowed all minority rights that go along with it and legally be considered African-American. You can investigate the real-world case of a Rachel Dolezal. Or I may decide that I feel like I'm only 45 instead of 65, so I should be able to change my legal status. There's an actual case such as this, but the request was denied by the courts. Or I decide I feel like I'm a six-foot-five Chinese woman, and I insist everyone respect that as my decision. Or I feel like a cat and go through numerous surgical-type procedures to look more like one. This was another actual case. The examples can get pretty ridiculous because they all deny reality, as do the transgendered. However, due to liberal politics, atheism, and the accelerating belief that feelings determine truth, the controversy about gender is now at the forefront of our cultural issues. Many now say that if you are male, but feel like a female, then you should be considered female officially and have female rights, including bathroom and shower privileges, and vice versa for a female who feels like a male. This has escalated ridiculously to the level of bathroom rights now, where many believe that you can go into whichever bathroom you prefer based on whether you feel like a male or female, regardless of your biological sex. So the government has now started to create laws to respect the rights of the very slim minority, in these cases, over the majority. But instead, we should protect as a priority our children in the majority who may experience some kind of trauma from encountering such a situation instead of a misguided attempt to protect a small minority who have a disorder that requires therapy. But the facts haven't changed. Sex is based on biology, not on feelings or emotions or perceptions. The whole issue has come to the forefront to distort God's plans for humans and to make it a perspective based on our self-image instead of God's image of us. Let's review the scripture about this subject. In Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then from Jesus in Matthew 19.4, he confirmed, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So what's happened to change perspectives? Until the 1990s, the American Psychiatric Society defined this gender issue as a mental disorder. No different than anorexia, really. Would you encourage your anorexic child to eat less? However, due to pressure from the LGBTQ lobbyists, they caved and changed their definition to gender dysphoria, 
and not a disorder. The same thing that happened with homosexuality. But this is not a trivial matter. This isn't semantics. There are serious consequences involved. Here are just a few. Health, particularly mental health. Studies by Johns Hopkins Medical University show serious harm when physical gender is changed through surgery. The incidences of suicide are 20 times the norm for transgendered patients. And nearly all are in therapy and on depression medicine. A significant percentage want to change back, but can't. Although Johns Hopkins was the first medical university to do transgender operations, as a result of their studies, they stopped it some years ago. You can Google and eventually find articles about this and about Chief Medical Officer Paul McHugh and his findings. But as usual, you may have to work your way past all the false articles that Google posts which attempt to refute this study. And some parts of it. And from other organizations. Child abuse. The American College of uh, Pediatricians stated that they consider it child abuse to allow a youth to have a sex change operation. The reason is that feelings about gender can be fluid until puberty, but 97% of the cases clear up after puberty occurs. If you allow or support a gender operation before that, it's irreversible and they will be scarred mentally, emotionally, and physically for life. If you search the internet long enough, you'll find testimonies from uh, people about this for those who made such a decision and regret it. Then we have DNA. The fact that the chromosomes do not change due to a gender operation creates a serious problem. You may feel like the other sex, but your DNA insists you are not, and this creates serious conflicts mentally and emotionally. Once a sex operation is done, there is no way to undo it. Then we have the bathroom issues. Now, to some people, this seems like a small issue and should be based on preference, so we don't alienate or discriminate against the transgendered. But the minute percentage of the population, a fraction of 1%, should not gain a favorable treatment at the expense of the vast majority. It can be shown that the kids who are not transgendered may become confused about seeing a transgender and begin to wonder or doubt their own gender. This can lead to trouble, as mentioned before, and it's totally unnecessary and unfair. In addition, a transgender who only feels like the other sex and has not had the operation may cause trauma for other children when they see their body parts exposed. Parents have every right to protest and seek remedy from the courts to prevent this gross injustice injustice against our children. Certainly, the government should not be allowed to make laws that allow these travesties to occur. 
Then we have the transgender sports domination. In recent years, males who identify as females have been allowed to participate in female sports. Records are being smashed frequently. It's becoming common now to see them dominate the biologically female competitors in an increasing number of sports, such as cycling, handball, mixed martial arts, crossfit, wrestling, weightlifting, track and field, just to name a few. In fact, in a recent mixed martial arts loss, a previously dominant biological female was absolutely overpowered by a transgender and lost her title. She said she had never experienced such strength and force before from any other competitor. She ended up receiving a concussion and serious cranial blows that sidelined her for weeks. Now, how is this fair to the biological female athlete? Even with significant injections of estrogen, the prior years of muscular growth, exercise, bone strength, and other features are still primarily maintained after gender transformation. Let's look at some of the research a little deeper, starting with the Paul McHugh study at Johns Hopkins Medical University. This is the oldest and best study that's still available, although Google has tried to hide this and allow debunking and refutations of it, which haven't been proven. So Johns Hopkins Medical University did the first transgender operations in 1966, but in 2008, they stopped after a 20-year study showing severe harm. McHugh found that most of their patients were in depression Therapy experienced twice the normal suicide rate, and after 10 years of the operation, about 40% wanted to change back, but they can't. And there was no objective advantage in regard to some sort of social rehabilitation, if that was the purpose. McHugh concluded that Johns Hopkins was cooperating with a mental illness and that it was reckless and irresponsible for children to have transgender operations. There was no evidence the operation was the right treatment, and it was more like an experiment. And, very importantly, most probably had another mental health issue underlying the gender issue. And remember, it was always called a disorder until recent times. In May of 2019, the World Health Organization removed it from the, its list of diagnostic disorders and changed it to dysphoria. There was a Healthy Mind study in August of 2019 of 65,000 college students, and it showed 80% of them, about 1,200, who claimed alternate gender identity. But those that claimed it had another mental health issue also, and I believe this is an underlying frequent problem, 
that's at the root cause of many of these situations. Of those who were gender minorities, 58% suffered from depression and half of the 58% had intentionally harmed themselves. However, in typical liberal fashion, the study concluded that a primary cause of the harm was people not using their appropriate pronouns or bathroom preferences. That's almost funny, except it's such a pitifully poor, illogical conclusion of just the opposite obvious answer that they had other mental health issues. According to the McHugh study, post-puberty, most children with the dysphoria will change to normal feelings again. And because of all this study, dozens of other clinics shut down citing the McHugh study. But alas, in 2017, due to transgender activism and pressure, he was pushed into retirement and Johns Hopkins re renewed their operations. But there are plenty of other anti-gender studies. If you search deep and long enough on Google past the liberal algorithm posts, in 2003, uh, Dr. Bailey, who was a psychologist and professor, wrote a book called The Man Who Would Be Queen and determined that the gender issue was either an extreme form of homosexuality or a type of fetish arousal pattern. But there was a smear campaign and Dr. Bailey's book was squashed by bad reports and the practice was forced out of business. In 2008, a Dr. Zucker, who was an international authority on gender dysphoria in children, recommended something called watchful waiting to be patient and they'll change their feelings if they're under therapeutic care and we're not enabling or encouraging them. But a smear campaign was done on Dr. Zucker and the clinic had to be shut down. In 2014, Lisa Lipman from Brown University described something that she called rapid on-site gender dysphoria that was manufactured from binge watching on social media various transition stories online. There's a Swedish, Swedish study in 2011 done of 325 sex reassigned people and they experienced a higher mortality rate, higher suicidal attempts, higher depression and therapy rates about 10 years after the surgery. The problem is the doctors only have the word of the patients to go on. There's no way to do tests and determine if such a condition actually exists. So it's self-diagnosed by the patient. Does that sound like good medical science? But these are, are very serious life-changing decisions. The operations are irreversible. Hormone therapy is being given to kids as early as eight years old, and mastectomies to girls 13 years old. Now, McHugh and the others said that neither sexual orientation 
nor gender identity is biologically determined. There's no gay gene in spite of all the fake news, social media posts here and there. But a Dr. Poteet, an expert in epidemiology, which is a study of the cause of health issues, condemned the McHugh report and had 600 people sign a petition. Interestingly, mostly the people who signed were patients and staff people, not medical experts. McHugh says that the nature of the issue is psychosocial, not biological. He said there are cases, a fraction of 1%, where there is an anomaly and maybe surgery is needed. The American Psychological Association says that therapies for those who wish to get rid of same-sex attraction are harmful and that the so-called conversion therapy can be a remedy. Then there was a report in September 2019 that disputed this and said that they can be helpful for Christian men. About 125 were studied, but in typical fashion, the editor of the paper took down the rebuttal and refuted it. Those who were helped said the harm comes from being told that they have to live with their feelings or undergo surgery. So what's the answer? First, it's a hypocrisy for liberals and atheists to criticize those who deny their view that humans are a major cause of climate change and that that's a crisis and that the science is settled. They claim those people are science deniers. Well, at the same time, these liberals deny the irrefutable scientific evidence that sex is based on biology and not perception. So they only like scientific conclusions that fit their agenda and ideology. Gender disorder should be treated as a mental disorder the way it used to be, through therapy if needed. Would you encourage your anorexic child to eat less to satisfy their false image of themselves? No. Gender disorder is the same issue. It requires compassion and understanding, but not enablement and encouragement, or even celebration of it. With time and mental health support and family, prayer, and pastoral support, in most cases it will disappear on its own. Let's pray for them, love them, and care for them and about them but not extend this false belief. Show them Jesus. He's the best cure for any issue. Take care, friends.